MSW Media. Thanks to Thuma for supporting the Daily Beans. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel, but at home with The Bed by Thuma. Go to thuma.co slash beans and use code beans to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of The Bed, plus free shipping in the continental U.S. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, October 24th, 2022. Today, the Mar-a-Lago classified documents contained secrets about Iran and China. Donald Trump is formally subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. Steve Bannon is sentenced to four months for criminal contempt of Congress. A federal court has cleared the way for the January 6th committee to get Kelly Ward's phone records. Eric Hirschman warned against Donald signing inaccurate voter fraud numbers in a lawsuit in Georgia. President Biden is reviewing Elon Musk's Twitter deal. Kosh Patel has appeared before a grand jury in the documents case. And the Department of Justice is asking for more funding. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody, it's AG. I am just getting ready to leave Washington, D.C. Today's show is going to be awesome. I'm going to be talking to Ariel Elias. She is the comedian who had a full can of seltzer thrown at her while she was on stage by an ultra maga. And um, she's making her debut, her comedy debut on Jimmy Kimmel tonight, Monday night. And I'm going to be talking to the Democratic candidate for governor of Arkansas, Chris Jones, because early voting starts in Arkansas today. He's running against Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Dana and I will be back tomorrow. I'm traveling home after getting policy briefs at the White House. Follow me on Twitter at Mueller, she wrote, for the latest news from the administration. Also, in the news, Trump was subpoenaed officially. We knew that they voted to subpoena him on that last committee hearing, but they have officially issued the subpoena. And um, so, you know, we'll see what happens with that. I don't know that we will necessarily get any testimony from him. He's thinking about it. He's going to make demands. As I said, he's going to want to do it live and all that. And and I don't think the committee's going to go for that. But, you know, once this Congress is over, regardless of who wins the elections, although I think the Democrats are going to win, but regardless of who wins the elections, they would have to reform the entire committee. The committee ends with this Congress, no matter who's in charge. So they would have to reform it. Many of the committee members are not going to be there anymore. They'd have to reissue a new resolution. They'd have to reissue the subpoena. So, you know, I think that this is just more about duty than maybe getting actual testimony from him, which would be pretty useless anyway. So we'll see what happens there. And Steve Bannon on Friday was sentenced to four months in prison for criminal contempt of Congress, which is what I've been predicting he would wind up with. But he was only fined $6,500, which is bullshit, because during his probation meeting, when they were asking him about all of his money situation, he said, I'm not telling you anything. Fuck you. Find me the max. Find me $200,000. So they did. But this judge only issued a fine of $6,500. And this judge, also a Trump appointee named Judge Nichols, Nichols is the only one out of 15 judges who has said that you probably can't use obstructing an official proceeding 1512C2 in these insurrection cases. But he is going to let Steve stay out of jail until his appeal goes through, until his appeal is decided. And that is absolute two systems of justice bullshit. Why does he get to wait? pending appeal when everyone else has to fucking go to jail. Anyway, absolute miscarriage of justice. The four months, I would have preferred six, but 
I figured it would be four months. I don't have a problem with that. It's within the sentencing guidelines. It's just this shitty low fine and this absolutely stupid preferential treatment that allows him to wait, you know, while he spreads his lies and propaganda, which he will do when he gets out and he might even do from prison. But he gets to wait pending his appeal. All right. We have a lot of news to get to. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up, some of the classified documents recovered by the FBI from Donald Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago included highly sensitive intelligence regarding Iran and China. This is according to people familiar with the matter, also verified and corroborated by NBC. If shared with others, such information could expose intelligence gathering methods that the United States wants to keep hidden. At least one of the documents seized by the FBI describes Iran's missile program. That's according to the people who spoke on the condition of anonymity. Other documents describe highly sensitive intelligence work aimed at China, they said. Unauthorized disclosures of specific information in the documents would pose multiple risks. People aiding U.S. intelligence efforts could be endangered and collection methods could be compromised. In addition, other countries or U.S. adversaries could retaliate against the U.S. for actions it has taken in secret. The classified documents about Iran and China are considered among the most sensitive the FBI has recovered to date in this investigation. And Kash Patel, by the way, top advisor to the former president who was deeply involved in the disputes over the classified records. He was a custodian named a custodian of records to the National Archives. He appeared recently before the federal grand jury looking into the handling of the documents at Mar-a-Lago. This is according to CNN. This is their exclusive reporting. Patel spent several hours throughout the morning of October 13th before a grand jury at the courthouse in D.C., but it's not clear if he answered the grand jury's questions or declined to respond or cited the Fifth Amendment. The latest activity behind closed doors reveals how the Justice Department continues to pursue a possible indictment in the Mar-a-Lago matter. The Patel grand jury appearance especially is indicative of how aggressive prosecutors are being as they continue to gather information about what has happened up to this point. Other witnesses were subpoenaed to the grand jury looking at the documents over the past several months, including a flurry of activity around the day of the FBI's August search. The Justice Department has made an atypical choice of citing Patel by name in that affidavit they unsealed. Remember when they called Trump's bluff? That's the affidavit that secured the search warrant of the Florida club. Now, in response to having his name in the court document, and I can't fucking believe this, Patel accused the Justice Department of intentionally jeopardizing his safety saying brown lives matter. Yes, he did. Yes, he did say that. And Eric Hirschman expressed concerns to President Trump's advisors and attorneys about the president signing a sworn court statement verifying inaccurate evidence of voter fraud. That's according to emails from December 2020 that were obtained exclusively by Axios. The email shed new light on a federal judge's explosive finding Wednesday that Trump knew specific instances of voter fraud in Georgia had been debunked but continued to tout them both in public and under penalty of perjury in court documents. This also happened with John Eastman in one of the emails Judge Carter recently ordered to be released to the January 6th committee under the crime fraud exception to attorney-client privilege, in which Eastman wrote, for him to sign a new verification with that knowledge and incorporation by reference would not be accurate. Recently, Judge Beryl Howell ordered Mark Short to testify while Trump tries to stop it under seal. Now, as we know, Hirschman's testimony to the grand jury was delayed over privilege questions. We saw those emails. But the Mark Short order likely clears the way for Hirschman to testify as well, if he hasn't already. Look for that to be the next breaking story from the grand jury in the January 6th criminal probe. There's a lot of them, a lot of probes going on. 
And a federal appeals court has turned down former Arizona GOP Senate candidate Kelly Ward's attempt to block the 1-6 committee for her phone records in connection with the investigation. A divided panel on the Ninth Circuit voted two to one to deny Ward's request for an order preventing T-Mobile from complying with a subpoena. The uh, panel was made up of a, a Bush appointee and a Clinton appointee and the Trump appointee. And it was actually the Bush appointee that wanted to stop, you know, voted against the DOJ in this case. But she was outnumbered. Last month, Arizona-based U.S. District Court Judge Humatewa, an appointee of Obama, tossed out Ward's initial request altogether. However, on Tuesday, the Ninth Circuit temporarily halted the subpoena, and the court's order Saturday, this one that we're talking about, lifted that temporary stay. Ward can appeal on banc to the full panel of the Ninth Circuit and then eventually to the Supreme Court if she chooses to do so. And the Biden administration says it is in critical need of more money to bring the January 6th rioters to justice. But it's not clear Congress will grant that request in a major funding bill planned for December. And if it fails to do so before the new year, a potential Republican-led House could imperil the resources they need. Now, I am reading this from the story. You know I think the Democrats are going to hold the House. I just want to let you know that this is a, a possibility. With just weeks of work left in this Congress, the future of the sprawling federal criminal investigation of the DOJ into the rioters who stormed the Capitol and everybody around Trump and their part in the fraudulent elector scheme could in part, you know, be in the hands of congressional appropriators who craft funding bills to keep the government running. Justice Department has called January 6th the most wide-ranging investigation in its history, 870 arrests so far. For 21 months, the investigation led by the U.S. Attorney's Office for D.C., has largely been propped up with the help from 93 federal prosecutors' offices from across the country who are volunteering personnel. But the work is far from over, and the department needs more resources to move full speed ahead. That's more than a dozen sources close to the investigation told NBC News in July. As one official put it, we just don't have the manpower. Why this didn't end up in the budget reconciliation bill, I'll never know. And finally, the U.S. government is considering national security reviews of some of Elon Musk's ventures, including his Twitter takeover. And that's according to Bloomberg on Thursday. Musk's plan to purchase Twitter for $44 billion with the help of foreign investors, including Saudi Arabia's Prince Alweed bin Talal, Qatar's Sovereign Wealth Fund, and Binance Holdings, which was founded by a Chinese businessman, have concerned the Biden administration. Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and China have concerned the Biden administration officials. Officials are considering which tools they could use to review Musk's ventures, including action by the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., that's CFIUS, which reviews foreign takeovers of American businesses. The CFIUS carries out securities reviews of transactions that threaten to impair the national security of the United States. When reviewing a transaction, they can recommend to the president that the deal be suspended or prohibited per the regulations. If the Twitter acquisition was to be reviewed for national security reasons, the agency could recommend to Biden that he nix the deal, something that Musk himself has tried and failed to do in the recent months. Now, after a phone call with Putin, we know Musk tweeted his version of a Ukraine peace plan, which matched Manafort's, Artemenko's, and Donald Trump's, which was to carve up Ukraine and give parts of it to Putin so he could install the exiled Yanukovych as president of those parts. Now, I've asked several times why that doesn't violate the Foreign Agents Registration Act, but we'll see what Biden does. All right, early voting starts in Arkansas today. And next, I'll be speaking with the Democratic candidate for governor running against Sarah Huckabee Sanders. His name is Chris Jones. And then after that, we'll be chatting with comedian Ariel Elias, who had a full can of seltzer thrown at her on stage by an ultra MAGA. 
She's making her comedy debut on Jimmy Kimmel Live tonight. We're going to talk with both of them after this break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. I need to tell you how I elevated the most important room in my home with Thuma. As you know, I recently remodeled my house after the divorce. I gutted everything I wanted to make it my own. But the bedroom often gets overlooked, but not this time. I got the bed by Thuma. It's handcrafted from eco-friendly, high-quality upcycled wood. It's got beautiful, unique variations in the natural grain. It's got a minimalist design, which features Japanese joinery, and it looks amazing. While being super supportive for my mattress, it's breathable, and it's made to naturally minimize noise, and it opens up the room. It creates space. I could not love it more. Made for how you live, the bed by Thuma is backed with a lifetime warranty. It ships right to your door in three easy-to-maneuver boxes. It only takes about five minutes to assemble with no tools required. I did it myself. You can build it yourself. Thuma practices an intentional less-is-more design philosophy for the bedroom. Keeps it calm and quiet in there. It's wonderful. Clean lines, subtle curves, lifestyle-enhancing details. Thuma proves that simplicity is the truest form of sophistication. So create the feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel suite, but at home with The Bed by Thuma. And right now, you can go to thuma.co slash beans to receive a $25 credit toward your purchase of The Bed, plus free shipping in the continental U.S. That's thuma.co slash beans. Again, Thuma, T-H-U-M-A dot C-O slash beans for a $25 credit. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flip It Blue segment. I'm very, very excited today to be speaking with a Democratic candidate for governor in Arkansas running against Sarah Huckabee Sanders. His name is Chris Jones. He's a physicist. He went to MIT. He's an ordained minister, educator, executive leader. He's a girl dad, has three girls, husband to a combat veteran. And so we thank him for the service there. And again, like I said, 2022 Democratic nominee for governor of Arkansas, Chris Jones. Hello. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Great to be here with you, Allison. It is so good to talk to you. I'm so excited to amplify your campaign because most of the listeners of our show will remember Sarah Huckabee Sanders as a known propagandist and liar when she was the press secretary under the Trump administration. And I wanted to talk a little bit about who your opponent is, but I mostly want to focus on what your platform is. But you did an ad called Warning and it went viral and it talked about <laughs> some of some of the some of the issues that voters should have especially in Arkansas with Sarah Huckabee Sanders can you talk a little bit about that ad yeah so that ad and again thank you for giving me the platform it's great to have this conversation with you and I, i'm excited about this moment uh, and i'm excited because i'm a seventh generation arkansan so i love my state even though i've been all over the country and and the ad really talks about the importance of this race and the stakes of this race. And so it, it's called warning because look, we have governors across the country like DeSantis and Kay Ivey um, who are just absolutely uh, doing all kinds of lunatic style stuff. And Sarah's among that class. And she, she would be one uh, who is competing for first place among the madness. And, and why that matters to folks outside of Arkansas. And again, I've lived in Georgia. I've lived in Boston. I've lived in Maryland, in, Atlanta, in Massachusetts and in Maryland. So thinking about those places and how she would impact them is through policy. So, so she would be literally, as we talk about it in the ad, 
an incubator for bad policy that will make its way up to the Supreme Court and then infect the entire nation. And in fact, they're actually having a meeting in Northwest Arkansas, very exclusive, invite only, paid, where they're talking about things like education. And Betsy DeVos is on the panel. Right. And so they're already coming up with policies and ideas that would be incubated in Arkansas and spread all throughout the nation. So let's stop her now. Yeah. And and not only that, but as governor, the governor is responsible for certifying electoral votes in the state. Right. And, and if we right. have an issue with the Supreme Court they're, you know, they're going to hear this term, a case called Moore v. Harper, which the listeners are very familiar with, mm-hmm. that could hand the decision uh, to to just throw out the votes of the people and the will of the people to certify fraudulent electors. And she would be in a position, if elected, to sign off on that. But if you are elected governor, you would sign off on the will of the people, regardless right. of party. And I, and I think you've, you've brought that up several times because it is the will of the people. We want to represent our constituents as they want us to represent them. And she could overturn that. Yeah, I mean, she's focused on the will of the few, the will of the connected, the will the will of the already in power. Um, and again, as evidenced by her frequent trips to Mar-a-Lago uh, and those conversations, and as evidenced by this, this secret meeting that they're having. Um, and, and, here, and here's the issue, right? If we don't stop it now, it's going to be really hard to stop it later, right? If, if we don't address it now, because the election in 2024 is going to be about the presidency, as we all know already pretty clearly. And more fundamentally, though, exactly like you laid out, it's going to be states and governors that will either hold the line on democracy or unleash the gates on authoritarianism. That's really the choice we face. Now, interestingly, it's, it's not that difficult to stop her. You think about the two races, DeSantis and, and Kay Ivey and Tate Reeves. Like, they didn't win by much. You know, some places 4,000, some places 11,000 votes. And in Arkansas, we often say it doesn't take much in terms of resources. So with the right resources, we can win this race and stop her now. Yeah, and I think that that's very important, not just for you know people in Arkansas and, and, and how the policies impact them, but the future of democracy itself. You know, I keep saying mm-hmm. gas prices are temporary. Inflation is temporary. A democracy, the loss of democracy, once gone, is very difficult to get back. I, I put that out on... Well said. well said. I put that out on Twitter and they're like, oh, 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 really? Fascism is forever? I think we defeated Hitler. And I'm like, all right, you want to go through that again? That's, right. <laughs> that's your... You're like, uh, that's, you know, I think voting is probably the best way to, to prevent this. We don't have to go to another world war. Voting is the best way. Mm-hmm. And Allison, if you could, if I could add, you know, there, there's some space in between democracy and fascism, democracy and authoritarianism. And in that space in between is the stripping and removal of rights. Yes. We already see that women's rights are being stripped and moved, removed away. I mean, we talk about voting rights and the rights of people of color, all of that. There was a time in this country when you and I couldn't vote. Mm -hmm. We could not vote. And there are folks who want to take us back to that time. And in this moment, we all have to step up and make sure that we're like, and yes, I want people's support for me here in Arkansas as we fight this fight and win this race. We we also have governors across this, this country that are fighting to make sure that they're in position to also defend democracy. And I want people to support them as well. 
Yeah, I think people, uh, you know, I hope people understand the importance of, of governors' races and state legislatures yeah. and, the, and the role that they're going to play. And let's talk a, a little bit about your, your platform. Yeah. You said seventh generation <laughs> in Arkansas there. Tell us about your background, why you're running, and some of the experiences you had at a young age that, that speak to why you have decided that it's, it's your duty almost, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's a duty. It's a responsibility. It's a calling. Um, it, it's it's what I feel pulled to do, and in part because look, I love Arkansas, <laughs> and and no matter where I went, when I whether I was at Morehouse in Atlanta or MIT or traveling the world, the first thing I say to people is, I'm Chris Jones, and I'm from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, because I want them to know where I'm from. Now, part of that comes from the fact that I'm a seventh generation Arkansan. My family's been here for over two hundred years. Part of that comes from the fact that I loved my my upbringing, where we had community and family and were surrounded by that. And yes, there were challenges and difficulty, but we always had Arkansas to fall back on. And I always saw that family there. And my being here today in this race, in this moment, the seed that was planted for me being here today happened when I was eight years old. My dad took me to the mall in Little Rock. Now, Pine Bluff is South Arkansas. Little Rock, Central Arkansas, the big city. And so we drove from my hometown of Pine Bluff to Little Rock. And I think we were in my dad's Volkswagen Beetle that had a hole in the floor so you can drop pennies down to the ground. But when we got to the mall, we're walking around and we bumped into none other than then Governor Bill Clinton. And he took time. He listened, he engaged, and he he interacted with this eight-year-old boy. And afterwards, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what does he do? And my dad said, he's a governor. Now I'm saying, well, okay, what's a governor? Now, any child that's a Gen Xer will know my next response, my dad's response. He said, go look it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and we had to go look it up in the card catalog and encyclopedias. We to, <laughs> right. And that's what we had to do. We had, I had to go home into the Encyclopedia Britannica. And Allison, we didn't have the full set, but we had G. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> and so I looked it up and I found out that I've always loved to tinker and solve problems, even as a very, 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 very young kid. And so I found out that a governor could solve problems and more importantly, make a difference in people's lives by serving them. My family is a family of faith. I'm a preacher's kid twice over. My grandfather told me, Two things. One, get an education because when you get it in your head, no one can take it out. Mm. He also said, use every gift God gave you to help someone else and do it at home. So so for me, early on, it was about what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to serve? And where do I serve? So I knew I served at home. And in that moment, that eight-year-old kid said, I want to come back one day and I want to serve my home state. That's why I'm here in this moment, because I want to serve my home state. And it just happens to be a moment, Allison, where not only are we looking to serve and spread the great things and address the challenges, but we're in a moment where it's a choice between chaos and community. I happen to be running against one of the most uniquely bad and uniquely unqualified candidates in the country in this moment. Yeah. And that, and that's such a powerful message too. Uh, You know, I remember when I was talking to, uh, Mary Trump, because we all know Biden, you know, the inspiration for him running for president again, not getting into politics in the first place, but, you know, to, to run for president. 
was Charlottesville. And he says, boy, I have to help this problem. I have to help mm-hmm. solve this problem. And, uh, you know, when I talked to Mary Trump, her, her father, at some point, who was Donald's brother, sat down with his dad to get help, you know, with his, with mm-hmm. his alcoholism. And his dad's first words to him were, what do you want from me? And mm-hmm. the difference between what do you want from me and what can I do for you right. are what we are facing in, in this governor's race. That's, in, right. that's right. In Arkansas. That's the it's kind of the way that I, you know, that's my my number one takeaway. And mm. I, I want to ask you about I, how PB and J is the key <laughs> to unlocking the promise of Arkansas, because this is fascinating. Well, look, um, I am I am a physicist and an engineer, and so I, I can do the complex. But what we love to do is get to the simple. Yeah, when they say go to school, you went to school. You <laughs> you, you went to you're like all right, MIT. I mean, your education is, is, uh, enviable. (laughs) Well, look, I, I, I love learning and I will always learn. Um, and I I love engaging with people and exploring. Right. And so when I think about, as I've traveled the state and hit all 75 counties and talked to Arkansans of all economic background, all educational background, all races, all ages, what I found was that there were some common themes that kept bubbling up. And among those were the importance of education, the importance of a foundational infrastructure, and the importance of economic opportunities. Now, as an engineer and a physicist, I always believe, and also as an urban planner, I always believe in getting at the root cause, right? Like, what's the ground zero? What's the most important thing that'll unleash so much else? And in education, it's pre-K. If you get it, and, and I know that from running track. When you run track, you know that if you come out of the blocks strong, you set yourself up to win. If you don't come out of the block strong, you can't win the race. So why don't we set our kids up to win the race by giving them high quality pre-K? And then I look at infrastructure and I say, what's the root, what's the root thing that we have to fix? Well, COVID showed us more than anything that we need high-speed internet. You and I couldn't have this conversation if we didn't have high-speed internet. And about a third of Arkansas either doesn't have it can't afford it, or it's too slow. Mm-hmm. And that locks them out of the 21st century economy. Now, of course, when we talk about things like roads and bridges and water infrastructure and levee systems, and in education, we talk about things like trade schools and higher ed. But then the last piece is economic development. And at the end of the day, people need to be able to work 40 hours and keep a roof over their head, period. And we are not in that. In Arkansas, two-thirds of our state are called Alice. Asset limited, income constrained, but employed. They're working and they're working hard, but they can barely make ends meet. And a $400 bill will tip them over. Mm. So if you go to the root cause, it's about jobs. And that's how we come up with PB&J, preschool, broadband, and jobs. Mm. And I want to spread PB&J all across the state. Because <laughs> in a good sandwich, is spread all over. And I know in Arkansas, we've had too many bad sandwiches where there are places where when you take a bite, out of opportunity, all you get is dry bread because the peanut butter isn't spread to you. And that's places like my mom's hometown of Stevens in South Arkansas. That's places like Mina, which is in West Arkansas, and it used to be a sundown town. Mm. And guess what? They are Harrison. That's the birthplace of the Klan. And I've been to Harrison twice, Allison. And I've talked to folks. Why? Because they matter. Mm. And I don't care whether you're a racist or not. Your kids still deserve high-quality schools. 
you still deserve roles that are safe and you still deserve an opportunity for a good job. Now, you can't act out on your racism, but you still deserve those things. And as governor, I would want to give it to everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I would be remiss here if I didn't point out that if we have someone like Sarah Huckabee Sanders in the governor's office, any of that infrastructure money coming in, expansion on Medicaid, ACA shoring up, she's just going to say no thanks. And it will to the detriment uh, of of the working people, the families of Arkansas. She'll either she'll either send it back, and there's a modern example in the current governor, Republican governor, who sent 146 million dollars in housing assistance back to the federal government, or she'll concentrate it among those who are connected, those who who are in the inner circle, and so that still leaves out so much of Arkansas, which is rural and and deeply impoverished, and yet waiting for just a little bit of a seed of opportunity to flourish. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the, you know, the equity versus equality mm-hmm. argument. And we need both. There you go. We need both. Before we get to um, <laughs> before we get to the the meat of uh, the fundraising and where people can help you, I want to ask you, because yeah. we've covered economics with the PB&J yep. and the other top issue on everybody's mind is Dobbs and, and rights. And you, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but I would like to ask you if you can expand on what you intend to do as governor with regards to helping protect or restore the rights of people for their own health care. Yeah. You know, Dobbs was a, was a, was a shock to the system and a shock to the heart. Uh, I'm, I'm the, the husband to an amazing wife who's an air force veteran and she's brilliant and beautiful. I'm the father of three girls. As you said, I'm a girl dad. And so I, I think about the impact of Dobbs and the, and the notion that, government-mandated pregnancies will be imposed on us and take the place of personal freedom and liberty. Um, It's something that burns me up. And even think about the resources going to implement that, right? So imagine redirecting law enforcement to investigate miscarriages as opposed to investigating, you know, crimes, uh, as opposed to investigating the destruction of things, right? They're, They're not doing that. And so as governor, I would certainly use every lever at my disposal to ensure that our Kansas have access to those healthcare decisions. That that decision really comes to a woman, her position, her family, and her God. Like it's just, there's no room in the hospital room for legislatures to be in there. Now, unfortunately, my opponent, Sarah Sanders, she takes a very, very extreme position. No exceptions at all. So if God forbid something happens to my 13-year-old daughter, mm. then she gets to make that decision. Or if my wife, yeah, who we've had an ectopic pregnancy. Mm. So what what do you do then when a woman is trying to say, well, I can't have a procedure until my life is literally at risk? Because if I did, then we all are at risk of being imprisoned. Like, it's a surveillance state that she wants to create. And as governor, I would fight against that. And here's the deal. If we can stop it in Arkansas, it builds a defense for across the nation. If we allow it in Arkansas, it opens floodgates across the nation for those rights to continue to be taken away. Yeah, and and I'll tell you, Allison, you would think that in a place like Arkansas, it wouldn't be an issue. Like just kind of if if you if you didn't know Arkansas, you'd think that it's not a hot topic. Every place I've been, very quote unquote conservative areas, very quote unquote liberal areas the topic of Dobbs comes up and the topic of those rights come up. Yeah. And and I think it's the same with uh, guns. 
And, uh, you yes. know, nobody's wanting to take anybody's guns away. Everybody is oh. uh, pro Second Amendment. I think the issue, uh, what I'm seeing like right now in Texas, for example, that I fear could happen in states like Arkansas if, if, if Republicans take power in the governor's mansions, is that in order to solve, well, not solve, but their answer to the gun problem, because, you know, we know a lot of those children, all those children in Uvalde couldn't be identified because of the, the, the sheer power of the bullets that come out of these yeah. uh, rifles. And so their answer now, Greg Abbott's answer, is to get every all the kids' DNA on file. And if you want to talk to me about a surveillance state, right? I mean, that how is that not just farming every citizen's DNA to have on file with the government? Yep. Yep. And to use the death of children as an excuse to do that just absolutely tears me up. That is so anti-American. Yep. And so talk a little bit about just common sense stuff that you would do as governor? I mean, common sense stuff that protects us. Look, look, I'm, 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 a, I'm a scientist. I'm an engineer. You know, I, I, I know technology and I know the power of technology. And so to have access to that kind of information on the individual is something that you shouldn't do willy-nilly. And the influence of business on politics, the ability to, to, to shape politicians, which means it opens the door for information that should be private, and look, my, my opponent's former boss is not known as someone who's good at keeping information private or classified. <laughs> I mean, that's just not something that he's been known, known for doing, right? Right. So, when she, you mentioned she was at Mar-a-Lago, I'm like, oh, I wonder if she knows uh, what Iran's nuclear hey, look, position is right now. I mean, she does talk in her book about the boxes that he took on trips on Air Force One. Mm-hmm. Right. So th- these are things that we have to be concerned about. And as you said, Alex, I'm a gun owner. No one wants to take away the guns of law-abiding citizens. I want to protect the Second Amendment. Arkansas has a culture of hunting, a culture of owning guns, and that's great. And yet my wife served in Afghanistan, and the weapons that they use in war shouldn't be freely passed about on the streets. We want communities to be safe. We can have safe communities while also protecting rights of individuals. And it all comes down to real, real common sense responsible actions. Now, that applies to me across the board. You know, people also talk about Democrats want to raise taxes and and all this and all that. Like, look, no, I don't want to pay taxes either. And yet I understand the importance of being in community and, and doing your part, doing your share. As a Christian, I know that I'm supposed to do my part for my neighbors. And so, so what this is about is how do we responsibly use every dollar that the public entrusts us to. Now, I'll tell you, trust is a critical thing. And it's kind of hard to trust someone if you look at their history and all you've seen are evidence of unreliability, evidence of untruthfulness. So we're in a situation where I want to be a governor who, who you can trust, who folks can trust that will make common sense decisions, will stretch every dollar, We'll lift up the commons and then we'll leave you alone. Yeah. And it sounds like you listen to the individuals and the constituents as well, as opposed to mm-hmm. kowtowing to a party and just, you know, holding the line. It's it's so mm-hmm. important that we represent the people who put us in office. That that's key. Look, I am I'm I'm from a small town that that has been ignored a lot. I'm an African American male. And so the notion of not being at the table is not lost on me. You know, I, I I'm fortunate now that I have a PhD from MIT. So there are tables I can sit at 
that somebody, that a lot of people that look just like me can't sit at. Well, I want to create a table in Arkansas that's inclusive because I fundamentally believe the people most impacted by decisions need to be at the table when decisions are made. And I want to make sure that Arkansans that are low income and of color and trans and atheists and Christian and doesn't matter if you're an Arkansan, then you should have a seat at the table where your voice is valued. And together, we can take all of our diverse perspectives and actually solve the problems that we face and deal with and then go on about being neighbors with each other. That's what I want to do. Awesome. We can you tell everyone where they can help you do this? Because we know that, um, you know, folks listening definitely want to support your campaign and and help you defeat Sarah Sanders. So where where can they follow you? Where can they donate? Where can they find information on text banking, phone banking, postcards, adopting Mm -hmm. a state? Because a lot of folks you know, here in California, we're like, hey, it's either blue or super blue or dark blue or, you know, uh, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. we got a little time. We can help write some yeah. postcards for places like Arkansas. Where can we find that information? Look, all of that matters. You can you can kind of follow us on social media at Jones for AR at Jones for AR across the various platforms. And you can go to Chris for governor dot com, Chris, F-O-R, governor dot com. Please donate. Every dollar matters. We are in the last stretch to get out the vote. We need funds to keep our ads on the air. And I think we have some really good ads. We need funds to get buses. We are literally renting buses to drive people to the polls because Arkansas is 50th in voter turnout. There were 1 million Arkansans who could have voted last cycle, but didn't. We're going after them. And so we need funds to get the boots on the ground and get the buses on the streets so we can drag people to the polls. ChristopherGovernor.com also gives you an opportunity to volunteer, to sign up, to do, as you said, Allison, phone banking and text banking. Uh, and if you want to come into Arkansas, then let us know. We will deploy you to a county across the state. so You can knock on doors with us. And if you are in Arkansas listening, I am asking for your vote. I'm also asking people, Arkansas or not, go through your phone book and find any of your family that's in Arkansas and call them and get them out to vote. Find any of your friends that are in Arkansas and call them and get them out to vote. Find your enemies that are in Arkansas and call them and get them out the vote. And yes, this is important to find your exes that are in Arkansas <laughs> and get them out to vote. Every category matters. And, and our, last thing I'll say is, if you want to send us, when you come down here and visit, we'll make sure you get some good fried fish or some good barbecue. We'll make sure. So come on. And if you can't visit, then you can also help pay for some food for some volunteers that are out there. Because that's what it's all about. People are doing the work and we're going to shock the nation. And we're going to stop the madness. Excellent. ChrisForGovernor.com. Chris Jones running for governor of Arkansas on the Democratic ticket against Sarah Sanders. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really, really wonderful to speak to you. It's been my pleasure, Allison. Can't wait to talk to you again. Are you struggling with the political upheaval of the current moment? Maybe you're trying to figure out how to keep going and fight for a better world. Well, starting in October, we're bringing you a brand new podcast made for the here and now. It's called Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Hosted by me, Elizabeth Cronice McLaughlin, a renowned activist and leadership expert, Living Through It hosts weekly interviews with guests who are changing the world from the ground up. We're offering you advice on how to continue working toward a better future in the face of burnout and exhaustion. And our aim is to inspire you, create hope, and share a collective vision for a more just and equitable future. 
I hope you'll join us on Living Through It with ECM, a podcast for interesting times. Everybody, welcome back. A really special treat today. I'm sure you probably saw the viral video somewhere on Insta or Twitter of the amazing New York comedian who got a beer, a full beer, hucked at her on stage by a Trump supporter, which she... Well, I'm going to let her tell the story. She's a New York comedian. Everybody, please welcome Ariel Elias. Hi, Ariel. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I'm glad you are safe. Uh, First of all, there's been a lot of... I'd like... My whole time being a comedian, I was never like, ooh, I wonder if it's dangerous to go on stage. And now it seems like it is. Can you tell us what happened that night for anybody who has not seen the video? And we'll put a link, by the way, to the video in the show notes for everybody. What happened that night on stage? Sure. I was featuring at a comedy club in in South Jersey. I had been there the night before, so I kind of had an idea of what to expect, um, which was basically just that like, it seemed fine. It's a BYOB club, which is already maybe a little bit of a red flag. um, Because if you don't have any control over how much people are drinking, you don't have any control over whether or not they're going to throw that stuff at you. Um, But I came back Saturday night and about 15 minutes into my set, I I asked the crowd, I said, does anybody have any questions for me? Which is something I've done many times. Because, you know, as comedians, we have to like constantly put out content and sometimes getting a little bit of crowd work in there can help not burn material when you feel a little stuck. So I asked, does anybody have any questions for me? And a woman in the back raised her hand and I called on her and she said, uh, she said, did you vote for Donald Trump? And I said, what do you think? <laughs> uh, and she, cause I had just been talking about like birth control and, you know, and my IUD. And so it was very clear. I mean, look, if you listen to my jokes, it's very clear that I'm not conservative at all. Um, but then she, uh, we had a little back and forth. I sort of shut her down a little bit in a fun way that still had the audience on my side. And then as I thought it was over, I started to go back into my jokes and then somebody, I thought it was her at the time, but I later found out it was her husband threw a full can of of uh, a hard seltzer at me. Oh, oh, okay. So he, he wasn't even drinking a beer. He was drinking no, was like a, a hard seltzer. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of reasons to be disappointed in this guy. Um, that <laughs> is one of them. Um, but so I picked up the drink and then I chugged it. <laughs> and that's the video that went viral. Yeah. And you got a little applause break for that. And, you know, rightly so. Uh, because that's how you handle, I think. I think that is a, like the perfect example of how to handle a bully. But it also kind of highlights the sort of just the hubris that has been given to these assholes by like the former administration. To do that at a comedy show where you're supposed to be there to have fun and um, they brought the politics into it, you didn't. It wasn't like you were kicking around like, hey, I bet you voted for Trump, you piece of shit, whatever. Why don't you, you know, whatever. And I, I love how you were like, to be fair, I, you know, I asked for I asked the question. <laughs> so now because this video went viral, you've gotten a lot of uh, really awesome attention. As a matter of fact, you are going to be on Jimmy Kimmel tonight. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so when I tweeted this video, I saw that Jimmy Kimmel had quote tweeted it and said five stars for this performance. <laughs> And I've been trying to get on late night for a few years now. I have submitted not to Kimmel because Kimmel up until tonight did not was not doing stand up anymore. 
but I've submitted and I've reached out and I've heard nothing and heard some rejections. Um, so I figured I would shoot my shot and asked if I could make my late night debut on his show. And I did it in a very public way that it would have been really difficult for him to say no. Um, and so he said, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, he could have been like, I just didn't see you, you know, I mean, dude's got a gazillion followers, but he did see you and he wants to, to highlight that sort of, I don't know, that humor in the face of assholery, I guess is the best way to put it. You know, when we started our podcast about the Mueller investigation, I was like, we have to make this funny because there's just so much comedy gold coming out of this side of the, of the, of the administration. And, you know, we, we want people to sort of pay attention to it. And I think that finding humor in those really honestly terrifying situations is the best, almost one of the best ways to to fight back, you know, like that whole concept that, you know, the best revenge is like a life well lived. And I'll, I'll just chug your fucking seltzer if that's what you're, you're going <laughs> to hook it at me. I mean, nothing makes people matter than when you won't ang- like argue with them. Mm-hmm. Right. When you won't get as mad as they are. Uh, yeah. Because I think they also think that it's this thing too of like, yes, I voted for Joe Biden. It's not like I'm super psyched about Joe Biden. And they can't quite grasp that, that we're not the same like gung-ho fandom about our politicians. And it's like, no, no, it's, I'm not, it's hard to be a fan of any politician, right? Like you're going to get, you're going to get disappointed at some point. Yeah. Same with, you know, what, uh, what Cory Booker said about America. If she, if she hasn't broken your heart, you don't love her enough. And, uh, mm. Yeah, there's there is a huge difference, but we're not in a cult. We don't have giant, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. bro, bro dozers with Biden flags flying in the, you know, in the wind or whatever. Um, so it's it's a little bit just there's a little schadenfreude in in watching you not get angry, uh, you know, and instead do the opposite. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you on Jimmy tonight. I'm so glad he picked you up. So you you are, he got, he stopped doing comedy and you are the first comedian back on, on Kimmel. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, the guy who I was, uh, who I was headlining for that night or who I was featuring for the headliner in, at Uncle Vinny's Gianmarco Cerezzi was like, I can't believe you're going to be the one to bring, to bring stand up back to Kimmel. That's brilliant. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm so, so, Thanks. so happy for you. Will you tell everyone when they need a good laugh? When they need to learn how to stand up to a bully with humor, where can they find you and follow you on Twitter and also on on any other social media platform? What's the best way to see you? So my handle on every platform is the same. It's at Ariel, A-R-I-E-L underscore comedy. Perfect. Pretty easy. Everybody tune into Kimmel Live tonight and check her out. We look forward to it. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. That is our show. Thank you so much. I really appreciated talking with Chris Jones. And of course, Ariel Elias, everybody in Arkansas vote. You can vote now. Voting early. Early voting is open. Get that done. I'll be back tomorrow with Dana. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.